Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I'm your moderator. I am joined once again uh, by... I'm never going to get it right. By Young Families Pastor Dan Marcello. Howdy, everybody. Uh, worship Director Scott Reed. Hey, guys. And Associate Pastor Bill Calvin. Hello. Um, before we get into uh, a rousing game of Would You Rather with Scott, Dan, would you mind praying for us just to start us off? Sure, I'd love to. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. Thanks for the chance that the four of us have to be together and for those listening as well. Lord, we ask that you guide our conversation, the things that we bring up, may it all be glorifying to you and be for the benefit of not only us who are here, but those who are listening. Lord, we love you. We trust you for these things. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get started with the best way to start a podcast, which is Would You Rather. Remember, listeners, if you want to be a part of Would You Rather and submit your own, you can email them to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. That's not a real email yet, but I think it will be at one point. Scott, take it away. All right. Would you rather ride an adult-sized big-wheel tricycle, the plastic tricycle with the huge plastic wheel in front, from Florida to Maine, or ride an adult-sized hippity-hop, an inflated hopping seat across the state of Florida? Listeners can't see, but Bill Calvin just rolled not only his eyes, but his entire body in response to this question. Certainly his mouth. So this isn't, this isn't the first option is not a power wheels. No, this no, is like a tricycle. It's like a tricycle, tricycle where you have to one. actually like pedal it. With plastic wheels. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I well, think I think a hippity hop is so unpleasant. Yeah. But, like like we've said, like you're just doing squat jumps for the entire length of the state of Florida. And I think think of your abs after that. That's true, but think, think of your, of your legs. <laughs> exactly. Think of your legs after riding a tricycle. Uh, from Florida to Maine. I think with a tricycle, you can coast. There's no coasting at any time on a hippity hop. Right, it's not going to be pleasant at all. Like, you cannot move without exerting energy on a hippity hop. Yeah. I choose the hippity hop. I'm, oh, I'm on a diet. I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. <laughs> I feel like that's perfect. <laughs> and Florida is not that wide. Fair enough. Or is, is it, it the length? It's the length. It says across the state. So the uh, width. Oh, no. Ooh. Oh, I'm a fool. I don't know. I feel like it would still just be miserable. <laughs> I do think the big wheel, I was talking about this earlier with Max, the big wheel, as like a full-sized, roughly 200-pound man, trying to get up a hill with plastic wheels <laughs> would be tough. But I still think going from Florida to Maine in like a tricycle would be more, might take longer, but I think it'd be more pleasant. You can kind of like make a trip out of it, you know, you get to go through the... Carolina, drive down the coast in your big wheel. Sounds kind of nice. What a nice vacation. Florida's also very flat, don't forget. There's no elevation changes. Florida has alligators. <laughs> That's true. Let's see your hippity hop defend you from those. <laughs> Bill? Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do either, but I, I think I'm going to just hippity hop across Florida. All right. We'll do it together, Bill. Chances. Yes. Wow. wow. And Scott and I will start a motorcycle gang. We'll watch the sunrise over the ocean while you guys are getting chased by alligators. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move uh, right into topic of the week. Topic of the week this week uh, is brought to you by the Easter Baptism Service. Uh, Bill, you have a word about that? If you're interested in being baptized, we would love to baptize you. On Easter Sunday from 9.45 to 10.45, we're going to be having a baptism service. There will be baptism classes offered in the month of March. Please just walk up to me or email me and say, I, I want to do this so that we get you on the docket and you're part of that group. Perfect. 
Thank you. So as we said last week, uh, we're really in this this series, this season about, you know, is the Bible still relevant? How do we read it? How do we answer questions that we have personally uh, in our faith about the history of the Bible and how we can trust it and believe it? Um, and this week, I want to talk a little bit about passages of the Bible that don't get preached on, passages of the Bible that um, sometimes are unfamiliar to people who haven't uh, read it themselves, uh, if they've only been in, in church services, only heard sermons. Um, I want to give us a chance to, to talk about those passages that don't get talked about um, and some of the things, some of the reasons why they might not get talked about, but also, you know, what value they have and what we can still get out of them. Um, so I know that each of the three of you has, has brought one today. Um, Bill, would you mind uh, starting us off? All right. I hope I'm not getting us off track, but this morning when I was eating breakfast, I started just writing down the books of the Bible that you typically don't hear messages from. And I came up with an amazingly, unbelievably high number. Hmm. It seems that 32 out of the 66 books in the Bible are pretty neglected. Hmm. I'll give you a few for instances. In the Old Testament, it's Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Ezra, Job, Ecclesiastes, and then pretty much all the minor prophets with the exception of Jonah. And hmm. when you get to the New Testament, it's those last few books, First and Second Thessalonians, Philemon, First and Second Peter, Second and Third John, Jude, and even Revelation, because you have to have so much background to be able to preach Revelation and even to listen to a message on Revelation. Hmm. So that's what hit me today, that, wow, it's like almost half the books of the Bible are not really dealt with very much. Sure. So if we don't preach on them, we believe they still have incredible importance to tell us about who God is, who we are, you know, in the life of faith. Why, like, why not talk about prophets, right? Why not talk about those sections of the Old Testament in particular? I think one reason why they don't get talked about a lot is, I'll speak for myself, the pastor doesn't know that much. Hmm. And it's not because of lack of effort. I've read them all probably 20, 30 times minimum and hmm. taken courses on them, taken specific courses, like one just on the book of Zechariah. But if you were to say, hey, Bill, can you get up and preach a sermon here in the next hour on Zechariah? Yeah, but it'll be one of the worst sermons you ever heard in your life. <laughs> it, it, it's, it just takes so much uh, background knowledge to, to be able to speak intelligently about the prophets. Hmm. If you were to preach on Zechariah, if you were to do like a, a series, you know, three-part series or something on Zechariah. All right. Like what would what would you say is the thing that you would try and pull out of it? Like, what is the value to me if I'm going to go and read Zechariah like this week? Yes. What do I need? What should I look for that for some reason isn't, you know? Okay. It's not what you look for. It's who you look for. Hmm. And this is the truth for all of these books. Try to find Jesus in the mm -hmm. book. Yeah. And when you find him... It doesn't matter how obscure the book is, how little knowledge a person has who's the listener, all of a sudden it comes to life because Jesus is the life. I think that's what's been missing in evangelical preaching, that we were taught a different hermeneutic than the hermeneutic of find Jesus and preach Jesus no matter what the book is. Mm. 
So you can come to an evangelical church, listen to a whole series, and never even hear the name of Jesus. Right. And it's not that the pastor's a heretic, it's he's just following the way he was taught. What would you say is, um, to quickly define hermeneutic, is that just teaching style or teaching like direction? Oh, I'm sorry for using that term. Okay, the hermeneutic is the way you interpret scriptures. Okay. And the way evangelicals were taught to interpret scriptures is called the grammatical historical hermeneutic. So you learn the original language, Hebrew for the Old Testament, Greek for the New Testament, and then you look at the historical background of that passage, you put those two together as part of the grid through which you're going to interpret the scriptures. The trouble with that hermeneutic is it's ignoring Jesus. Hmm. And so you have these blinders on. You're not seeing Jesus because you haven't been trained to look for him. And the reason why I'm more attuned to this than I usually am is I'm reading a book called The Moody's Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, edited by Michael Rydelnik. And it's pointing out that no wonder I've missed Jesus too much in the Old Testament. I was trained to not have eyes for him, which is really sad. When we did the Bible Breakfast Club, that was the first time that I read through a lot of the Old Testament, especially, you know, sequentially, right? The first time that I read through the book of Job all in a row, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that was definitely really helpful for me was in, in seeing Jesus more in that. Um, was taking that a lot more intentional approach. I think yes. when you just kind of like dip in and then dip back out, it's like, okay, what's a theme? What's like an issue? What's a topic I can pull out of this? And then when you when you spend time in there, it was really helpful for me in that process of looking for him. It didn't feel like I need to get in and get out and get like a devotional thing that I can pull out of it. Yes. And what I'm learning is he's found throughout the entire Old Testament from the beginning to the end, but I just really missed him. I, I wasn't picking up on it. What would you say is like a place that you see, like you pick up on it now that you didn't before? Well, in particular, the Psalms. <laughs> there are Psalms that are called the Royal Psalms, and most all of us as Christians found Jesus in the Royal Psalms, but there's only maybe 10 or 12 Royal Psalms. What about those other 140 psalms? He's in almost all of them. It's just subtle. I suppose it's a lot like somebody who really knows art, going to a museum and looking at a painting and, and really maybe spending a whole afternoon looking at a painting and getting a lot out of it versus me just walking in saying, all right, Looks good, and, and moving on to the next one, but but missing the whole point of the painting. Mm -hmm. I really agree with Bill. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I think the modern church tends to steer clear of you know the different books of the Bible, and I feel like one reason I'm not saying this happens at our church. I don't think it does, but we try to cater to what maybe is going to be more attention grabbing to people too, yeah. and something mm -hmm. like the yeah. Book of John or something that appears to be like more relevant. We maybe choose to preach on that. And that's why I really respect what Pastor David did a few months ago, preaching on a hard book like Malachi, mm. picking out something like that and really extrapolating good quality content out of it and really practical stuff. And Scott preached a sermon on tithing from that very yeah. practical, relevant, kind of an example that we can preach from these books that are lesser known. And it is called the whole counsel of God for a reason. Like mm. 
uh, Corinthians says is everything was written was written to teach us. Mm-hmm. So it's got benefit. Yeah. It's just sometimes these don't get picked for for various reasons. But I'm I'm grateful for this time that we get to kind of bring each bring a a book or a certain portion of scripture that maybe doesn't get preached on and share kind of what God's taught us. And, yeah. Since the three of you have preached multiple times, do you feel like there's a difference in how you read a passage or read a book for a sermon versus how you, you know, as a as a Christian, as a member of this church, read the Bible? Do you think those parts that are more easily left by the wayside for whatever preaching reasons, like, do you think people fall into the same traps or do you think the act of preaching can kind of change that? I think for me, something maybe kind of the opposite of that is when I'm preparing for a sermon on like a fairly short passage, um, like the one I'm preparing for right now is Jesus or is uh, Peter's denial of Jesus. And the passage that I'm, I think, technically preaching on in terms of like the sequential order of where we're at in the book is Jesus telling Peter that he's going to deny him. Uh, and it's only like three verses. Like, okay, now I got to get 30 minutes out of three verses. So it's like where it's almost like I have to pay more attention to what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, so that's a difference. Um, and then obviously, you know, when you're just reading the Bible, unless you're like really trying to intensively study it on your own, you just, you read it, you read through mm-hmm. it and some things jump out and some things don't. But I think at least for just speaking for myself, when I am reading for sermon prep, it's like, I need to find something that jumps out. Like mm-hmm. I can't just like, okay, well these three verses, nothing jumped out to me this time. Let's keep going. It's like, sure. no, these are my yeah. three verses. I got to find the thing. That's right. I would, I would definitely agree with that, that just reading the Bible for yourself on your own, if something doesn't speak to you or that you're not clear about it, it's easy to jump over it. Or like, like I was reading Chronicles recently and there I got to a section of a whole lot of names. I was like, I'm going to skip this one chapter because <laughs> I'm pretty confident. Like I want to move on to this other story. I know that not, and I'm advocating not reading those parts of the Bible, but, but it's easy to do that when you're just when you're quiet time. It's got a, maybe a different focus because you're trying to really nurture your spiritual life, trying to lean into what God's saying and, and listen. And it, I feel like lis- listening for, like, not listening, um, getting content for a sermon or studying for a sermon, I guess better said, it really is that. It's studying. It's sitting down. It's it, it's not just reading the passage. It's reading the whole context. Mm. And then you bring in other resources as well, like commentaries and, and different things like that or, or listening to other sermons that have been done on it, not for the purpose of copying them, but just to get more of a complete picture. Mm. And of course, spending a lot of time in prayer about it, which mm. we should be doing even in our personal Bible study too, that I feel like something I've picked up over the last few years is just even praying before I start mm. my own personal Bible study. Then. Yeah. Something else that this was, I was saying about this when Bill was talking about the, you know, the hermeneutic of evangelical preachers, I have zero training in preaching, um, which maybe is a good thing. Uh, in some ways, to re- in response to what Bill was saying, you know, he was talking about this, uh, was it grammatical or linguistic, and then historical approach? Yes. I certainly don't have any of the linguistic grammatical information, and and frankly, that kind of makes me feel, like, inadequate. So for me, actually, I when I'm, when I'm doing sermon prep, the way that my pastor growing up preached, which I didn't, it took me a long time to realize this, but he always, I think, always brought it back to the gospel at the end. There, I don't think there was almost any sermons where he didn't end up sharing the gospel. And I, I remember distinctly this passage from Leviticus or Deuteronomy or something, and he was talking about, it was like, you know, don't 
like let your oxen as it's treading the grain like let it eat the grain or something something really obscure and kind of weird and i remember he he used that to just see like what does this tell us about god god cares about his creation god is is making these provisions for even his an, even the animals you know that they don't get and then he you know launched out from that and and so that's that's not always my starting point but it's always like i it's a a, a point of importance to me that no matter what this passage is i want to share the gospel that's the primary truth that needs to be conveyed to people who are lost. Uh, where's the connection? Does that fit with what you're talking a little bit about, Bill, of finding Jesus in the passage? Like, if I mean, we believe that the Bible is about Jesus. It describes him, and, and it gives context to who he is and, and why what he does is important, what he did is important. Is that sort of the avenue that, that you're thinking about? It's one avenue. I really admire your pastor for being able to do that. Because in my preaching, I think, okay, how do you bring the gospel without it just looking like a complete non sequitur? Hmm. Yeah. Where it's almost like you've lost your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you bring Jesus into this? I remember years ago, our church was doing something. I think it was the Old Testament challenge. And Joe Zanaid and I were team preaching a passage from Deuteronomy. It was Christmas time, and the passage was awful. It was, (laughs) this is what's going to happen when you disobey me and turn to your own ways. The foreigners are going to come and invade your land and put siege works against your city, and you are going to not have any food, and you are going to eat your babies. So here's the Christmas message of that year. You are going to eat your babies. Well, that's just too bizarre. (laughs) So throughout the sermon, I kept saying, Joe, I can't find Jesus in this passage. (laughs) And Joe kept saying, he's there. You watch. He's going to come up. He's going to come up. So at the end of the message, Joe stood up, and preached the gospel for, say, three to five minutes and did a really good job. But it looked like a complete non sequitur to me. Sure. You're going to eat your babies. By the way, do you know Jesus? <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it, 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 it was a difficult passage. There's no way to, no other way to say it. Yeah. I feel like this brings up an interesting point that I've had this question from different people before of why read the Old Testament at all? I had someone flat out tell me a couple years ago, I don't think we need to read the Old Testament. Like, we have the New Testament. Jesus is God's son. He came, he revealed himself to us. Like, like what's the point? And so that really forced me to go back and really think of an answer, like a good answer of like, mm-hmm. not just, well, because it's the Bible and like, that's the end of it. But if really we look at the Old Testament, the New Testament is full of references mm-hmm. to the old. Like, there's a whole commentary on it. The commentary on the New Testament use of the old, like it's, everywhere so interwoven into everything practically everything that jesus said and did was either a fulfillment of prophecy or him quoting directly mm-hmm. you know even the epistles and, and the rest of the, the new testament like chock full of imagery from the old testament and just so many rich stories i don't know if anyone else would like to just comment on that of why do we read the old testament i find a lot of value in reading the old testament personally and the yes. rich heritage of the, like, the mm-hmm. biblical heroes of people who obeyed God in adversity and, and despite tough circumstances. And 
I really love it. It really speaks to me, but just what do you guys think about that? Well, we wouldn't have the wisdom literature of Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I mean, it's awesome to wrap your head around that. I like the fact that there is no bottom to Christianity, that there's so much depth, and we'll yeah. just use the scriptures alone. There's so much depth to the scriptures. Here I am, 67 years old. I've studied them my whole life, and I feel like I could live a thousand more years and probably not really get a grasp of it. Like I would say, oh, now I'm satisfied. Now, now, now I've really got it. I, I think probably after another thousand years, I'd say, I know less than I've ever known in my life because I'd have that kind of awareness of how great the scriptures really are. Yeah, I think for the person who says, I think we only need to read the New Testament, and you were getting at this too, Dan, that Jesus regularly quoted the Old Testament, and every time he does, he like elevates and he says, you know, this is this is worthwhile, this mm -hmm. is reliable. And so for someone who's like, we only need the New Testament, we have Jesus, that's like, that's enough. Um, you know, we should read the Old Testament and, and trust the Old Testament and utilize it because Jesus did and because he, he you know, endorsed it essentially. But also some other things, um, you know, the New Testament is given, kind of to Bill's point, the New Testament is given so much more depth by the Old Testament. I mean, we see the origin of the fallenness of man, which is why Jesus came and died on the cross. Like Jesus, Jesus's coming is sort of irrelevant without the context of, of the Old Testament or unnecessary, at least. Um, you know, the prophecies of the Old Testament that point to Jesus, I, I guess you don't need them, but they give so much more validity to who he is. And, and also just when you really understand them, which I certainly don't, but when you start to, you know, your, your awe of God, I think just just grows exponentially. Yes. yes. And then lastly, something I've been doing a lot of research on different world religions uh, for our small group, and one thing that, like, it's not crucial, and so I haven't dug too deep, but it it, it is kind of, it seems to be a little uh, missing, or, or it's a question that I often have as I look at their kind of core beliefs is, how did this all start? Especially with, with um, religions like Hinduism or Buddhism with this cycle of, birth, death, and reincarnation that just kind of goes on and on until you achieve whatever. Um, like, what was the origin of that? Especially in Buddhism, where there isn't like a central deity. Um, like, where did it, how did it begin? And so just that that foundation of like Genesis, you know, one to three, like this is how it began. I think that's, that's an important answer uh, that we need to know. And I think we also see ourselves reflected in the Old Testament, especially the narrative of Israel. You know, a people redeemed by God and like brought by Him out of slavery into freedom, like Christ does to us. And yet, just a cycle that ongoing for thousands of years of repentance and I am so sorry, God, forgive us as a people, and then living for God and then falling into sin and then you know God rescuing them again. And I mean, we'd be lying to ourselves to say we're we're better than them. Mm -hmm. We really see that this is human nature and we need a savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mine is the book of Philemon, mm. which is in that in the New Testament, kind of toward the end. You've got you know the Gospels, Acts, the Epistles, and then Hebrews and Revelation. But there's a bunch of books in there that weren't written by Paul. Right. You know, like you got the the Peters and the Johns, um, and then Titus and Philemon. 
So Philemon is the book that I chose that I don't feel like gets talked about a whole lot. Sure. Why? Well, I have some theories. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a book that can make us uncomfortable with the content because it deals with slavery. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a question that, uh, well, at least that's an issue in the American church where I feel like we're not so comfortable. And so I, f- I feel like it brings up a lot of questions in people, like, does the Bible condone slavery? Mm-hmm. Is God okay with the fact that people were slaves? And um, I think that for these, and then again, I've not like talked to someone about this and be like, do you not preach on Philemon because you're afraid to talk about slavery? It was just the sense that I got as I read it, mm. that it would be easy to maybe gloss over it, you know, for the reason that it could make us feel uncomfortable, given especially our unique situation in the United States, sure. history of slavery. Since the book is so short. Yeah, it's only you, 25 verses. Can you give us like the... Uh... Even shorter the, version of the, the, I can give the, the, <laughs> the Cliff Notes version. version. <laughs> so basically, it's um, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a guy named Philemon, who was a church leader in the city of Colossae, which is the city that the uh, book of Colossians was addressed to. Okay. And um, so Paul is writing to let him know that uh, his former slave, Onesimus, who had apparently, by all accounts, run away, um, was is staying with Paul, and Paul is going to be sending him back to Philemon, who is his quote unquote owner. And so it's it's Paul saying to Philemon, "Well, I've I've got this guy. He's become a Christian, Onesimus, the the slave, um, and I'm sending him back to you. But my hope is that I that you will release him back to me, and that he'll be able to minister, or you'll receive him back, like not in anger or in punishment, but as a Christian, and ultimately freed." Hmm. Um, and so this is to dig into a little bit of like why people don't preach about it all the time is like this is a church leader right who is still assumedly presently a slave owner in Colossae right right so like Onesimus is not his only slave we don't know that but it's safe to say that that could be possible could not be sure kind of don't have information in that way but well then I will ask the question that you said we don't want to ask which is by having you know, Paul setting up the church in Colossae, Philemon being a, a, a leader in the church and being a slave owner, does the Bible like, what am I, what's the word? Condone. condone. Does the Bible condone slavery? I don't think the Bible either condones or outright says slave slavery, you can't do slavery. But you got to look, kind of read between the lines when you look at ancient Israelite culture and something called the Jubilee year, mm. which every, every mm. seven years, all the slaves would be freed. So really, in a sense, they weren't slaves. And if they wanted to stay on, they could. And there was a whole process of a slave choosing to be like indentured, quote unquote, to a certain person for life. Okay. And that was their choice. Uh, But every seventh year, the slaves were freed. Like all debts were canceled. Wouldn't that be nice for student loans? (laughs) All debts were canceled. All credit card debt. Right. Um, All debts were canceled and all slaves were free every seven years. Hmm. So it's interesting to see God's heart in that. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I, this is kind of pulling from something that I learned a long time ago, but our understanding of slavery in America is pretty different from the type of slavery that was often practiced. You know, the type when we think of slavery in America, we think of racist, abusive ownership of other people, treating them like dirt and property. But that isn't in necessarily what slavery was like in. Is is that am I off base? I'm glad there? you brought that up because yeah. that's true. Very okay. true. I, I think of I believe his name was Zeba, and he was the slave of Mephibosheth, 
one of Saul's sons. Mm -hmm. And as you keep reading more and more about what's going on, you learn that Ziba is running a very, very large enterprise hmm. that we would look at him as being the plant manager. He's a big wheel, and yet he's called a slave. So that really does color mm -hmm. it a lot. The, the, mm -hmm. the slaves had slaves themselves, mm -hmm. which is mind-bending for me as an American. Right. But obviously, slavery was just a whole different mm -hmm. animal in Israel than it sure. was here in the United States. Even looking at the story of Joseph as a slave mm -hmm. sold into the house of Potiphar, he became like in charge of the entire house. And it's like, like you're saying, Bill, like he probably had other slaves like working for him because yeah. it's pretty safe to assume sure. that. And he was given all this responsibility, like control over someone's like whole estate. So there's definitely like a translational, like a, a cultural translational um, barrier there. Yes. And then when we, but still when we talk about, you know, humans owning each other or, um, I'm glad you talked about Jubilee because, you know, that choice of being an indentured servant for life mm -hmm. um, definitely, you know, is a different kind of thing. But when we talk about like the image of God and 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 how that's built into every human and, and, and the value and the beauty of, of individual human lives is that in uh, contention, is that uh, directly opposed to this idea of even this very different concept of of slavery in this time period and, and region yes I, I think it is i'm glad dan brought up the every seventh year the uh, slaves are to be set free and this year of jubilee was every 50th year all land reverted back to its original owner so huh. the scriptures themselves speak of the way you're to look at this isn't this is my land. You're looking at it as I have so many years of crops that I own at this point. So maybe you're 20 years away from the year of Jubilee. I have 20 years of crops. And the big point is none of this, nothing on this earth belongs to you. Hmm. You are That's right. the manager. You are the steward for God. Don't get attached to it because you're going to give it up. Yeah. Every seven years, you're going to give up your slaves. Every 50th year, all of your property. You're just renting it, so to speak. It, it was a healthy view of possessions. Right. That this is all temporary. There's yeah. an eternity out there. Focus on that. Don't focus on trying to feather your nest because you're going to lose it all anyway. And people weren't then, you wouldn't think of people as possessions in that way. Be like, well, they're working for me for seven years. Mm -hmm. And then after the seventh year, they're going to be free. Mm -hmm. So then that would keep people from having that view of like, this is my prop. This person is my property, hmm. which I think is at the core what we had such a have such a problem with, with the slavery of yes. Africans back in the yes. you know eighteen hundreds and before in, in America mm -hmm. was like this, the idea of someone owning someone else's really that really chafes us the wrong way. And it came out even in the language of the Civil War period that the Negro slave was seen as property and they would take another step. Therefore, he is not human. He is subhuman. Mm -hmm. Oh right. my gosh, where do you get these crazy ideas? But if you're starting from the idea of this is my property, hmm. just like 
This book is my property. Or even like a pet or like an animal. Yes. You can see how they really got way far afield from what God had in mind. I can see how the Southern preachers could preach pro-slavery messages, but when you back away from it, and we've got the benefit of backing away 150 years, you say, that isn't the flavor of Scripture. That is just not Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. God intended. Mm -hmm. I think that is something we see depicted a lot in in American culture, especially relating to that time period, is like Christianity being on the side of the dehumanization of slaves in America, mm-hmm. um, and 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 oftentimes in movies or in TV shows, like it is the Christians who are the ones who are most in favor of of American slavery in the South during that time period. Um, this is like a whole other topic. That I'm really interested yeah. mm-hmm. in. Do you have like a, you know, if you want to just throw one spirit that concept, if you want to, um, you know, say one piece into how people who are studying the Bible, studying Jesus Christ could fall into that trap? I think it's as simple as we have our lifestyle and we can justify it through the scriptures. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I agree. I completely agree. It's so easy to to bring your point of view to it and say, I'm going to look for things that support, support my viewpoint instead of looking at, like, what does God want to say? Like, right. well, how does God going to, like, back me up here because I know I'm right? Hmm. Yes. That's dangerous. And if the preacher in the South in those days had said, your view of slavery is all wrong, you need to free your slaves, he would have just been fired. Mm-hmm. So that's not really making a true change either. Do we still fall into that trap now of justifying our our life, our our ways of life through the scriptures? Oh, for sure. I don't think anyone I mean, can. I don't want to like throw stones at someone else, but a good example I think is like the Westboro Baptists. You know, hmm. they take the passages about that condemn the practice of homosexuality, engaging in, in sexual relations with someone of the same the same biological gender as yourself, and they turn that into well, God hates gay people, hmm. Um, hmm. and they use that for their you know their agendas as opposed to well, God hates all sin. This is one sin. We're all sinners, so come on in. Let's, mm-hmm. like, we all need Jesus equally. You know it. That's mm-hmm. and I I think that 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 issue specifically is one where we not all necessarily, but a lot of us do that in in some degrees, whether it's, uh, you know, less extreme than the Westboro Baptists, I certainly hope, but still kind of like, yeah, but that's kind of, that's that's something that deserves some special attention or whatever. Or on the other side, by saying like, no, like I, I can, you're misunderstanding these scriptures and the church has been misunderstanding them for 2,000 years, whatever. I think both sides, extreme, moderate, whatever, we can all kind of twist the scripture to, to make it a bigger deal than than it is. There's plenty of people that say, well, God is a loving God, and, you know, it's, God is love, and as such, hell can't be real. Hmm. And that's a that one that you'll hear all the time. Well, I've read this passage that talks about God is love, and how can a loving God do this? So in my opinion, therefore, disregarding anything else the Bible might say, right. there could be no hell. Just to maybe wrap this up or just yeah. kind of put a different spin on it, Really what Paul is calling Philemon here to, and I didn't realize this at first, but more I looked at it, I realized to forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because as a, a, a slave manager, owner in those days, 
when a slave ran away, there were like great punishments for that. Like a, a slave could be really badly beaten, you know, like burned, like severely punished for having run away. And even like I, I read that in those days they would uh, to a runaway slave they would put like an iron shackle around their neck mm. like to and probably tie a chain to it to ensure that they wouldn't run away again and so really what paul is i think encouraging philemon to do here is say hey receive this guy back as as your brother in christ as a as a fellow believer but also like you need to forgive and i love how he does it he really appeals to like he really uses his influence as an apostle mm-hmm. without being commanding and being like philemon i want you to do this because i'm your boss which he could have done, like as an apostle, like the, one of the main guys leading the church, he could have been like, I won't snap my fingers, you're going to do that, whether you want it or not. But he didn't. Hmm. He said, like, you owe me your life, your very life. Like, I am the reason, one of the reasons why you came to faith in Jesus. Hmm. So if that means anything to you, I want you to forgive. And, then, you know, this guy, you obviously, you have received less than your sins deserve. You, Jesus gave you his mercy, saved you from sin. Show that same mercy and forgiveness to, to this guy. Excellent. Yes. So I think that's a good lesson for all of us. Yeah. We've been f- forgiven much, and we need to be forgiving as well. Speaking of Philemon, it shows that even though we might see a book as less important, God really didn't give us any unimportant words. That's right. Mm. It, it's all... God inspired from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. There's no wasted words. It's all important. I think it becomes more relevant as we pass through different times of life and different things happen in the community. Suddenly a book that's obscure becomes extremely important. Mm. It's really neat. Yeah. Mm. Um, before we wrap up, does anybody have uh, something that's that's coming up in the next three to four weeks that you want to, um, you know, just let people know about in like a, a couple sentences? Well, if you're interested in going to Uruguay to the, on the missions trip at the mm. end of June, early July, we have a an interest meeting, general interest meeting on uh, Saturday, the 21st of March, mm. 7 to 8.30 p.m. here at the church to find out more and uh, get some information, some more specific information about the trip, the costs, just the different details and kind of meet Diane Paisley, the leader. So if you're interested in that, please join us that day. Yeah, I know I'm repeating myself from last week, but uh, there's still time to join the choir. We had our first rehearsal last Saturday, um, but there are a number of people who are going to be joining us this coming Saturday who weren't there. Um, We're doing somewhere in the vicinity of two songs and a hymn or three songs and a hymn. So it's not a huge amount of music, and we'll have a total of eight rehearsals or so. So there's still definitely time to join. If you want to join, we've got a good group and some good songs, so I'd love to see you there. Perfect. I'll make this plug for David. He's starting a jet ski fund. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, go this on. is for summertime activities to assimilate newcomers into the life of the church, so if you want to be involved in this, just Bill. walk up to him and tell him this Sunday after church, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the jet ski, and here, here's my contribution. Where are we going to go jet skiing? The Fox the, River? The pond out there. Oh, <laughs> West Lake Park. All right. <laughs> well, that, as always, if you'd like to donate to the Jet Ski Fund uh, or submit you, questions yes. of your own to the podcast, you can email them to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. Um, that's pretty much more than all the time that we have for this week. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Um, this has been the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Thank you, and <laughs> goodbye.
I also love. <laughs> it's like so. I've asked each of you to come up with books that aren't aren't normally covered. Bill, what'd you come up with? It's like everything in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I other guys. <laughs> you told me you were doing Song of Solomon. Yeah, that's we didn't I even thought. talk about Solomon. I know, <laughs> but then I'm eating breakfast and thinking, well, what, which ones are we ignoring? <laughs> Just <laughs> writing about it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Would you rather be married to an idiot in a major city <laughs> whom you can never leave or be stranded on an island for life with an intelligent person you love? Those aren't mutually exclusive at all. Of course. I can love an idiot, first of all. I love that it doesn't Second, specify. I can never leave them regardless. True. Thirdly, I can be in a major city <laughs> With an idiot in a city. We're trying to be married to an idiot in a city. Can you never leave the major city? With an intelligent person on an island. Uh, I don't think so. I imagine that you can't leave the city. 